0: Hey, we're back with Tom, folks. Uh, we're hammering out the second part of his list. These are films that made less money during their entire run than Avatar did in its first day. And by the way, uh, the length of this podcast is kind of
1: to make people never want to request that I'm back on your show again.
0: People demanded this, so I thought... let's. This is
1: like immersion. Like It's like if you're trying to quit cigarettes like you... Eat a carton of cigarettes while smoking a pack.
0: I, I don't think that that is recommended at all.
1: <laughs> well, again, agree to disagree. <laughs> but we're going to give people a, too much of a great thing <laughs> with this second part. So uh,
0: let's, let's kick things off just to uh, remind people who um, might have missed it. Avatar on its first day made $26 million <laughs> I always I always
1: uh, 26,752,099. Thank so you. let's say Tom? around eight hundred to round to a nice uh firm number.
0: Up first on your <laughs> list is uh up first on the second sheet of your list is Ponyo, which made a little over 15
1: million dollars. And this is another, like, the second of three movies on this list of, like, these are kids' movies. And I feel like a complete uh, jerk, jerk jerk-off for forgetting to mention this when I talked about the great kids' movies earlier when we talked about Town Panic. But it's from uh, Miyazaki, who's, like, he's literally one of the greatest living directors. So any time a movie of his comes out, it's kind of an event, at least as far as I'm concerned. This is kind of a loose Retelling of the Hans Christian Andersen Little Mermaid fairy tale. It doesn't really. It's not like a strict correlation, but it's like Miyazaki's spin on it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's gorgeous hand hand drawn animation. It's not like computer assisted. Um, it's kind of conflictless, which um, Miyazaki either makes kind of these like epic adventure fantasy movies that are full of conflict and memorable characters, or he makes movies like My Neighbor Totoro which is one of my favorite movies ever made, which doesn't really, it's kind of more like a tone piece. It doesn't really, there's not like, they're not trying to do anything. Mm -hmm. It's not like they're trying, they have to get an orb, or else, (laughs) like, the evil wizard is going to kill, or rule, or do something bad. Right. It's just kind of, you kind of hang out with these characters for an hour and a half, (laughs) and enjoy their company. I'm so confident that the movie is great, that I put it on here, even though all I've seen still, so far, is the English dub. Um, I'm not a real big fan of the English dubs that Disney does for these movies, but this one's got Tina Fey uh, (laughs) as the lead. She's the mom, but, like, the kid characters are all, like, the second-rate, like, the shunned members of, like, the famed Disney families. Like, the lost Jonas brother is the (laughs) name of the boy in it. I don't know which... I don't know, Bonus Jonas, we'll call him. I think that is his nickname. <laughs> Bonus Jonas. I'm serious. And then there's... uh, I'm not like, joking around. The Like, the forgotten Cyrus child is the voice of the little, like, Ponyo.
0: Does she do better than Miley
1: Cyrus in Bolt? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be hard to do better. <laughs> I was going to say Mark Madsen in Sin City did better voice work in his <laughs> terrible scene as a detective. <laughs> but Mark Madsen is power forward in the NBA, and I was thinking of Michael Madsen. But anyways, uh, Miley Cyrus's voice work in Bolt can really not... It's hard, it's hard to over... I'm worried about him. I'm worried. And she sounds like she smokes five packs a day. I'm worried about you, Bolt. You, <laughs> Bolt. <laughs> this is the Kenyan version of Bolt. <laughs> I'm worried
0: about <laughs> you saying
1: Bolt. <laughs> <laughs> they keep him locked in a trailer and make him think he's a hero. <laughs> but no, Miley like, we can talk about that for a bit. Miley Cyrus is just got awful, and I've seen episodes of Hannah Montana. Uh, I don't watch it uh, when we've visited uh, my fiancé's family. Sometimes her small cousin is watching the show. Um, I don't understand why she would ever be cast in an actual movie based on that work. Like, it'd be like, the acting is of the caliber of, like, those kind of straight-to-video Christian It's like a Bible man quality of acting that you find on Hannah Montana, where everything is just like hammy and like bad jokes or crazy reaction shots. We've kind of got off track here. Ponyo's a really good movie, but fuck Miley Cyrus and her terrible lazy voice work. She did a disservice to uh, Susie Essman. Was she the voice of the cat in that movie? I don't remember. I think she was in Travolta, right? Yeah. Travolta's Bolt uh travolta can eat shit for as far as, as i'm concerned <laughs> but i mean at least he did competent voice work that didn't feel like like you felt like cyrus was like texting with someone as she was delivering these lines
0: just like <laughs> uh, uh actually my the the name of the character is bolt not jabolt <laughs> <laughs> Uh bolt i'm so worried about bolt <laughs>
1: I'm a master of impressions by that the way. That is spot on. <laughs> you you left that out in your intro to me in the podcast. Just
0: so people know, that was Tom live. I did not go <laughs> to the DVD of Bolt and edit in the audio of Miley Cyrus.
1: Fletcher Runyon is the master of the low wire. I'm the master of Disney actress oh. impressions. He's the
0: master of the silver string.
1: Shit. Um, <laughs> could we call it the
0: low wire, though? I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. Now, the next film, <laughs> you and I being the only ones... No. Nope. <laughs> Look it up. Little, Fletcher <laughs> Runyon. I'll put, up a, I'll, I'll put a link up in the yeah, description instead of, of this shed. episode. Com, since I haven't done a review in probably a year for up just throw up a, I'll a, put up a Runyon entertainment link. Fletcher Runyon. Now, uh, Ponyo takes place in the ocean... The next film also takes place in the ocean. It's a documentary called The Cove, which made uh, $3,000 more than (laughs) $850,000. That was such a good segue, too, at first. I
1: was going to just give you big time, big ups to. to, Shouldn't have got complicated with the money. To Stu Jackson it. Or does Stu Scott it not Stu Jackson. <laughs> uh, I've reviewed uh the conduct of the players. <laughs> big ups big ups to Stephen Jackson for throwing crazy fists in the crowd at the palace brawl. uh the Cove. pretty depressing documentary about dolphin slaughter. Uh, the best documentary I saw this year, probably. A little preachy, a little bit, but I mean it's like it's earned. Like, you're not like, oh, get off your high horse. Yeah, I... Like, I, who gives a shit about dolphins? They're so delicious. Because who eats dolphin meat? Like, does anyone, like, seek it out? Apparently they do that. <laughs> Apparently there's a market for it, but it doesn't seem like it's robust. It right. It doesn't seem like... And it's high in mercury. Yeah, it doesn't sound like Jeremy Piven probably ate some dolphin meat, right? <laughs> oh, Hey-o.
0: speed that plow, buddy. <laughs> Insider
1: jokes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You have to understand we're Hollywood insiders.
1: <laughs> and apparently we're also very very drunk.
0: <laughs> now, uh I I do think that the film uh it, it's fun to see how they pulled it off. And I you, think you that's know, this part movie of the was
1: like was in the can for a while and they took it to a new editor if I'm not mistaken because it was kind of missing like a structure to pull it together. And I think the new editor kind of made it like a heist movie almost, where it's like, we got to get the best people available. We need the disguises guy. We need
0: the lock picker. We need underwater cameras hidden in rocks guy. So, yeah, it does does feel, it's like an Ocean's Eleven documentary crew (laughs) makes this incredibly brutal documentary about dolphins being slaughtered. Yeah,
1: and I mean it is so brilliant. It does reach that point where you like. The the whole point is they're trying to like the, the government in the area where they're doing this like uh dol- where they kind of like gather all the dolphins they like chase them into this little cove area and just murder the fuck out of these dolphins, and they they I think they you see footage of them just eating the dolphins raw in the water if I'm not mistaken right. I I don't remember. I honestly don't. They don't. I, I was setting <laughs> you up for, I, I for was a like, joke to maybe corroborate my false
0: information. But... I, I didn't know if I had blinked. <laughs> <laughs> it's a split-second shot. It's one like of them picturing the carcass
1: of a dolphin being eaten
0: by, by a Japanese whaler. <laughs> I mean,
1: in the whole movie is they're trying to get video footage of this, and they have, they're they like being muscled out of the area by like some pretty... there's like the shouty guy who's just the most hateful like he's worse than any villain could ever be in a movie where he just kind of just screams and berates people like the girl from Heroes I think you see her and like what they do instead of like trying to get underwater footage of these atrocities being committed is they paddle out a little bit into the water (laughs) and cry (laughs) and cry (laughs) way to go yes (laughs) yes Let everyone know what we did here today. <laughs> we got about ten feet out from shore and wept. <laughs> but he, like, he's berating this little girl. And he's yelling at her. And, he's, and he does it almost seemingly to almost all the women in all these situations. Like yeah. He goes up and just starts screaming at them. And it's not like in another language. He's just like making guttural noises. He's just like, oh, oh, oh.
0: I won't comment on that. I hate that guy. Was that racist? <laughs> I know. I was pretending that it was, (laughs) when he really isn't speaking in Japanese, he's just Uh, making these voices. After I did that, I realized
1: it's borderline, borderline bad caricature. I mean, my my wheelhouse is Disney actresses, you have to realize, (laughs) not Japanese
0: whalers who kill dolphins for their meat. Now, uh, The Cove takes place in water, and uh, the next film is called thirst and that's on your list <laughs> that's uh that made a little over three hundred thousand dollars it's
1: a vampire movie <laughs> <laughs> now the next film on your list uh chan wook park he made like the uh vengeance trilogy which culminated or didn't culminate it, old boy was a part of that trilogy he made uh, a middle film yeah i blew that one Looks like, looks like maybe I should be holding the recorder, and you should be doing the impressions <laughs> during this podcast. He made a movie right after that. He made a movie called "I'm a Cyborg," but it's okay, which never made it here, but which is a pretty. It's kind of a charming movie. It's kind of like "Girl Interrupted" with violent <laughs> robot violence, where the guy assumes he's a she assumes she's a cyborg. I may be misremembering this movie. But, like, it didn't lose his touch, but it was kind of a more whimsical movie, which sure. I don't think people were prepared for. This is kind of back to basics for him. <laughs> a priest gets a blood transfusion, and it's un- unlucky for him. It's vampire blood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm a blood sucker. What am I going to do? <laughs> and I'm a priest. I can't wear the cross anymore. It'll burn my chest.
0: <laughs> keep going. <keep> uh, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> uh, like,
1: the, <laughs> I just threw up for the second time on this podcast. It has my favorite ending sequence, I think, of any movie that I've seen this in, in the past year. Just like it's almost wordless. It's just this amazing scene between the two lead actors, but it's kind of like the vampirism is uh, between this couple. Like, it's like a toxic relationship. That is probably started on a bad pretense when he was a vampire when he started the relationship. But, I mean, it kind of deals with vampirism and relationships in a more uh, emotionally honest way than, say, Twilight. Which I haven't seen, but I'm going to judge the shit out of it anyways, <laughs> um, based on the clips I've seen. <laughs> You want to talk about Twilight? You've seen it. I've seen the first one. I haven't seen this. Let me in. Let me in on it. Is, does the movie feel like it's emotionally
0: valid? Do you like? Do I, you find yourself identifying with the vampire? I would say I can understand the appeal of it. It's not for me. It's not. I, I think a lot of people are like, "Oh, Twilight is terrible. It's the worst movie ever. It's the worst thing ever." I don't feel that way about it. I just feel I, I'm just kind of neutral about it. I think it's funny that he
1: became kind of a sex symbol. I don't I don't understand that. He looks like he's possibly mentally retarded. When you look <laughs> at him like it's possible that he is.
0: Is that <laughs> offensive that I'm saying this? I, I mean it's it's an observation. Right. I think it's valid. He there's something askew about him. And instead of that being uh, his forehead a is so prominent. Like, and I speak as a man
1: with a giant forehead, then I do as much as I can to mask it, either with hats or pants. You constantly wear baseball caps to cover the forehead. I have an enormous, like a freakishly enormous head, like, like it's hard to convey via words on this podcast how scary and giant my head is. I think that's kind of using hyperbole. Rick is dwarfed in the shadow of my giant (laughs) malformed head right now. (laughs) But also in that movie, don't the vampires have like a baseball team? And don't they all wear jerseys? In Twilight? Don't they play vampire baseball? They Come might. On. Come on, Rick. You saw this movie and you're not remembering the fact that this happens. Yeah, they
0: did! Yeah! But it happens at night. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. The <laughs> next film on your list <laughs> is World's Greatest Dad, which made a little over $220,000.
1: And this uh, almost makes up for the fact that Robin Williams has been just so miserable in so many movies lately. He's amazing in this movie, and I think you can attest to that. I know you've seen it. He's fantastic. It's a Bobcat Goldthwait jam, this movie. Another one of his joints. Joints. Uh, It's great. I mean, this movie, it's it's another one of those dark comedies. And it's another movie where you can tell Bobcat... I mean, the characters aren't all well-rounded, like, say, in An Adventureland but these like the main characters do some kind of despicable things but they're completely understood throughout and you care for them throughout even as they're making decisions that will kind of bury them further and further. Right. And I don't want to spoil anything about World's Greatest Dad because no. I feel like if you give away the hook it's kind of giving away one of the biggest.
0: Uh I just I I it was a film where you were never really comfortable but the it was so uncomfortable that uh I found myself Finding it to be hysterical.
1: There's some amazing jokes in that movie too, and the dad from that, what's his name? The Unhappily Ever After. Oh, that actor, you know who I'm talking about. The show with the, the puppet bunny. Yeah. He's great in it as the principal, right? He's the principal in it, and he's great. The woman who's like kind of dating Robin Williams' character. I think she was fantastic. In I it. don't
0: know what she's been in. Yeah, me but either. But she's, I, uh, she was good. The in kid,
1: them, though. The, his son is from Spy Kids. That's the. Blair that's the kid Spy from Spy Kids. Yeah, uh, he is amazing. He yeah. should have gotten... And that's a that would be like, we don't. We're not going to talk about Inglorious Bastards because it made way too much money to be on this list. But between Rockwell for Best Actor. Melanie Laurent in that movie for Best Actress and then I'd say him for Best Supporting Actor. I thought you
0: Marcus. were going to say it was a toss up between Christopher Waltz <laughs> and the kid from Spy Kids who's in World's Greatest but
1: Dead. you've seen Inglourious Bastards yeah. there's no reason she shouldn't have been nominated for Best Actress. She's kind of carries Inglourious Bastards. I mean even though she's not in it for long stretches I mean she's right. kind of she, a of I, I think
0: she should have at least gotten nominated yeah. I, not as praiseworthy as Waltz.
1: No, no, I agree with that. I mean, Waltz has the showier role, but I mean, she is the kind of the emotional core of that movie. Right? Getting back, I think his name is Daryl Sabata. I could be completely butchering that, but he definitely should have gotten nominated Best Supporting Actor. He's, uh, he makes such an impression in that movie. Like he's playing <laughs> the worst, son. Just, the, so just the most, the most, most unlikable person. And it's, a, and it's amazing that afterwards, if you think this is the kid from Spy Kids. Like he's he's fucking amazing in this movie, Uh, Uh, but I mean Williams is awesome in this movie, and you're like, why don't you do this? Why are you making old dogs? He
0: clearly has no need to make bad movies. He can uh, Williams has made so much money that he could do whatever project.
1: Why did he he make old dogs? Why did anybody make the movie old dogs, Rick? Let's talk about old dogs. I haven't seen it. I don't. Me either. We're gonna get it because I know that we'll get it at work because the. writer sells his dvds to our work
0: i'm gonna have to edit that out i don't want to cause a rift
1: but um so i guarantee we'll be watching old dogs on blu-ray and t-minus one week um this one oh, comes out yeah it comes out in a week i'm really excited to see it because there's no reason if just by watching the trailer there's no reason a movie like that should exist but if he could make movies like this, right, where he's like making a movie and he could be using his celebrity to kind of promote it, which he never did, as far as I remember, right? Did he do any interviews for One I, his greatest? I Land? don't remember
0: him doing that. Like but they it's could like have
1: promoted like when he was on Conan in the last week. He could be like, "Hey, I had this DVD that just came out." Yeah. that's
0: weird that like it's it's not like he's ashamed of it he shouldn't be ashamed it's it's not everybody's cup of tea no
1: but it could have like it would i would have legitimately been happy if he got nominated for best actor because i think that he delivers like uh it's a a nuanced performance like he does Mm -hmm. he goes to emotional places in it that he normally doesn't like his dramatic roles are usually really dramatic like one hour photo it's like stalker murder guy right like it's like kind of and this isn't a bold facedly like i'm trying to prove my D- dramatic chops right it's just like a really honestly good performance but old dogs what the fuck is up with the movie old dogs I,
0: we'll we'll know in it's, a week it,
1: put the fletcher runyon link up and then also please put up the john travolta music video for old dogs link <laughs> like can we talk about that for a few minutes sure can i explain it to the people on if the you,
0: podcast this is your show time
1: <laughs> Uh, this I would have put this on the list had it been released in theaters. Um, it's uh, John Travolta and his daughter. Is it Ellie? I, I don't remember her name. But Bobby, it, na- <laughs> Bobby Shen, Mike Shannon, and Travolta, <laughs> Shimmelman, um, singing, um, covering Bobby Brown in, in a music video where she's talking about her fantasy world at the beginning to John Travolta, and then he's discussing his fantasy world to her. But the music video is him singing the Bobby Brown song and dancing in circles around her in a kind of almost um, pedophile-esque sort of way with her name is in giant letters in the background, and they're meanwhile showing clips from old dogs. And this song does in no way inform anything that I would assume are the themes of the movie Old Dogs. (laughs) Um, But there's like, you know... We've all seen the Old Dogs trailer. There's like Seth Green singing in the gorilla's arms. And there's like shots of like gorilla roaring and Seth Green mugging and like all these horrible like contorted reaction shots from the movie mixed right. with this kind of earnest R&B cover from Travolta <laughs> being sung to his young daughter. It feels like the kind of thing that you would have found on a VHS cassette made in like 1983 <laughs> that was lost forever, but it's being promoted and shown online now. Is baffling. I, I know it. you're obsessed with this. I've watched it at least like 25 times. I've poured over it like this a pruder film. Like I've been trying to figure out. You go frame by
0: frame with that thing. Yeah.
1: I, I want to see if there's any secret messages I'm miss, missing here. Like maybe he, his son Jet is still alive and this is this way of saying like don't worry Jet, we'll find you. <laughs> 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 I'm just saying, in this scenario, maybe Jet was kidnapped by Armenians, and it's a cover-up, and Travolta has been negotiating to get him back for the longest time. Jet, son, we're going to come get you, all right? <laughs> nah. That's my Travolta impersonation. <laughs> it sounded like the Beaches from Saturday Night Live. Live? No, I, was Night doing, I was doing the end notes from Summer Lovin'. Oh, okay. Isn't, like, he hits an amazing note. Right, right. Man. right. It's fun to sing that part too. Do you want to try it?
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, but. Oh. <laughs> you didn't have to start from there. Those summer nights. <laughs> <laughs> like Tell, me <laughs> Tell me more. Like Tell I You
1: could have just gone. Night.
0: I wanted to contextualize it.
1: It's fair because you, you're right. It does sound Bee Gees esque when you. Maybe the Bee Gees were inspired by that.
0: You know, they did that song uh, that opens Grease. Uh, Grease is the word, is the word that you That's you're... a pretty, like... That's a Bee Gees song. It's like a
1: dirge-like song for the Bee Gees. It's not very...
0: It's not something that's in the original musical. Hmm. When I was in the high school production of Grease... You played Kanicki, if I'm not mistaken. No, I did not. <laughs> 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 that was completely inaccurate. No, I thought
1: Kanicki was the one played by Carol Channing. That was the joke I was going for. <laughs> Stalker Channing, I mean. Carol Channing. <laughs> uh, Alright, T birds! If I mean if you saw Go Grease Lightning. If you saw Rick in high school, he did have like a a poofy woman's perm. <laughs> Still do. And he had kind of uh swollen female like breasts <laughs> for a long time.
0: Was not aware of that. <laughs>
1: I know you wore a lot of tight shirts that <laughs> made people uncomfortable. The nipple sweat, especially.
0: In your yearbook picture. Uh well, uh the next film on the list <laughs> is In the Loop, uh, which made uh two million three hundred and eighty eight thousand eight hundred and four dollars. I know you're not as hot on this movie as I was. I think it's fine. I think it's a little overpraised. I th- I,
1: th- I think this movie... One of my favorite things that happened in the Oscars this year is that that got nominated for Best screenplay. Adapted Screenplay, I think, because it was based on a British TV, TV show. show. Um, they kind of take um, obscenity and turn it into an art form in this movie, where Peter Capaldi, I believe, is the name of like the main actor, the most memorable one in this movie. Yeah, kind of just has these turns of phrase where he's insulting people and it's like beautiful vulgar poetry where he's just using fuck and then like other obscenities in ways that are just amazing and never heard before it's got the girl from my girl in it I mean we're all my girl fans around here Anna Paquin? No, that's Fly Away Home slash X-Men slash
0: True Blood slash Buffalo
1: Soldiers (laughs)
0: You know, uh, I saw Anna Paquin when I was in Hollywood last year. Did you? Was she walking her dog? She was. uh, I was at the William Morris Agency. They've got two big buildings. And uh, I was sitting outside the building with a couple of various interns there. And uh, all of a sudden, I see a couple security guards come out where they've got the wires up to their ears like they're Secret Service. They cross the street to the other building. Anna Paquin comes out. They walk across the street with her and walk into the other William Morris building, and people are like, oh my god, that was Anna Paquin.
1: And you never really would have thought that we would have reached that level of interest in Anna Paquin at any point. I enjoyed her in Almost Famous, I enjoyed the X-Men movies to a certain extent, but you know, once you get into that vampire shit,
0: people just go nuts apparently. Yeah, yeah. There were no paparazzi or anything around, but it's like, nope. Gotta have four security guards with wires. Nobody
1: can touch or look at or make eye contact with Anna Packard. It was silent as she crossed the street. (laughs) Someone, they pulled a gun on you, didn't they? They aimed it in your face so you stopped breathing. Right, right. It was very aggressive security. Were we talking about, oh, In the Loop? In the Loop. I think it's it's a really good movie. Um,. Gandolfini is great in it. Um, the guy from Amadeus slash Pirates of the Caribbean. Or oh, wait, that's not the same guy. I'm, are you talking
0: about F. Murray Abraham? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. There's a painting of F. Murray Abraham on the wall in the background. <laughs> but the guy from Pirates of the Caribbean.
0: Jeffrey Rush?
1: No. <laughs> the He's like the... The, the the villain who isn't Davy Jones, like he's the British I ship person villain.
0: You know Tom, I don't remember.
1: I could've sworn he was the guy in Amadeus, but now that feels like maybe I'm lying because he would be really old if he was in Amadeus. <laughs> I'm dropping the ball with names of actors or even movies they've been in. <laughs> Steve Coogan is in it. He's kind of he plays a minimal part. Like I could he's one of the parts you could have gotten rid of Steve Coogan's role in that movie, and I don't think it would have killed it. I think all the other actors are kind of... I mean, by nature, his role isn't integral to the part, but it's kind of more hammy than the movie is otherwise. And what I, The movie goes to a serious place, kind of, in the same way the Brothers Bloom does at the end, but I feel like this one makes kind of sense because this movie is all about like the lead-up to our invasion of Iraq and like the uh, maneuvering behind the scenes that could lead to such a thing and kind of how inevitable... Such a thing is if someone decides that that's what they're gonna do, that there's no way yeah that it's going to stop once the wheels are set in motion, no blood for oil. you know what I'm saying Cashy? <laughs>
0: <laughs> now the next film on the list is Jennifer's Body, which made uh, a little over 16 million dollars. I this movie kind of got like really shit on a lot
1: by everyone. Uh, And I don't really think it deserves it. Um, I thought it was a pretty effective horror movie. I feel like the mistakes that were made were kind of in the way it was advertised. And also I think the director who did, like, Girl Fight, I think, before this, and I forget what else, kind of avoided, like, it's more of a movie about, like, a high school female relationship between, like, best friends in that kind of age where they kind of start, being completely different people than they were when they were kids <laughs> so it's kind of like more about this relationship between people and being best friends when you realize that you no longer have anything in common with this person you were best friends with Yeah. Um, but she kind of avoids the horror movie trappings that she's using like it's not very violent for a horror movie and I feel they could have gone maybe a little stronger with the violence instead of so subdued and also they were kind of advertising it as like this big Megan Fox thing whereas I don't realize <coughs> I, I, I know that there's like a certain American male who finds her attractive I don't get I don't, it I'm not I'm not in that club but like I think the way you advertise this movie is to women because almost all women I know hate the shit out of Megan Fox. Right. Um, You advertise it as a movie where she's going to get her comeuppance and she's a demon hell beast who, like, eats men. And, like, Amanda Seyfried from Big Love, right, and Mamma Mia, um, she's the other actress in it, and she's amazing in it. I think she does a really good job of playing the uh, other friend in this scenario is trying to give her her comeuppance. Yeah. Like, if you advertise it as a movie to, to women where it's like, come see Megan Fox get annihilated. Like, that would be something that would entertain people, but it's not like, come see Megan Fox, acting sensation Megan Fox. (laughs) Like, this movie was, like, very specifically tailored, I think, to her strengths as kind of a vapid, emotionless cipher of a human (laughs) being. Um, Like, she she plays the part really well. I don't know if she's a good actress, but I think she was... Like, it's kind of like uh, What's His Face in Election. What's that actor's name? Chris Klein. Chris Klein, where it's like maybe he'll never yeah. be good ever again in a movie. But, but that, that role's perfect for him. To her. And I think this movie also people are just wanting to just take a big dump on Diablo Cody after the whole Juno thing. Where, I mean, people complain that it's not how people talk in real life, which doesn't, like, people don't like I don't see like movies like funny haha ha or like those mumblecore movies making 45 million dollars right. in theaters people aren't clamoring for realistic dialogue
0: see I've got a bit of a a love hate thing with Diablo Cody where I I I did not care for Juno I just thought it was a little too cute uh but I like her writing and uh she does a column for Entertainment Weekly mm-hmm. and I really enjoy her well, writing Well I feel
1: there. like you know a, a big problem with Juno was like uh Rain Wilson like his yeah, scene. I think that turns people off, whereas I think people fixate on that. And with this movie, they fixate on like on dot org being used as a sentence. Like a character says moveon.org dot org, and then they I uh, I
0: would I would shut the film off.
1: <laughs> but like in every like if you look at the Onion AV Club, like they mention it every time they mention the movie. It's like this is the only thing that anybody says in the movie. It's just like an hour and forty minute montage of moveon.org dot <laughs> org. But, like, they hone in on, like, these, and they're not really the the heart of her writing. Like, her writing is good, and it's sound. Like, in Juno, that's a good screenplay. Like, you can think it's cutesy dialogue-wise, but I think that screenplay works, and I think it's structured pretty well, and I feel like the characters are rounded out, you know?
0: <laughs> I thought you were preaching at me. Yeah. Fuck I, you. I, I understand the appeal of it. And I just I, I, I feel like the Rain Wilson scene took me out of the film. And I, and
1: I can get that, but I feel like, I don't know. Does anybody really think Rain Wilson is awesome at this point? I mean,
0: did you see that that uh, episode of the
1: The Office? The I baby stopped episode? watching The Office about two months oh, ago. Man, I feel like you know that show completely ran out of steam.
0: Wedding episode, decent. The uh, baby I hate, episode. I
1: hated the wedding episode.
0: You would really hate the baby episode.
1: <laughs> it. What killed me was the dancing sequence. Like the show completely like loses its sense of reality sometimes. Like, it doesn't work. Like, it's supposed to be... Like, like. I like the scene where they go and get married, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: be outside of the wedding. But have like,
0: you seen the video? Yeah, I have video. seen that
1: before. So I, I understand the <laughs> reference. Uh, my problem with it is it's so far, like, it wouldn't happen in reality. Like, in right. the office is reality. The co-workers
0: wouldn't start dancing. If you and... thought that was bad, the baby episode is even worse. <laughs> it is unimaginably terrible.
1: But, like, there's no, like, there's no consistency with the characters. Like, Dwight Schrute, one season, is a virgin and asks, like, what the clitoris is. And the next season, he's, like, shunning beautiful women who want to have sex with him because he's, like, for some reason, all of a sudden a dynamo. It's like they don't have any internal consistency. It's whatever
0: makes the episode convenient, you know, it's ridiculous. And I don't
1: even understand how there's ever been a debate about British versus American office. It's like, do you like this amazing thing that was... Perfect, Or do you like this thing that is kind of good and sometimes really shitty? And is like like now on it? its death march. <laughs> like, how is that even a debate? Like, <laughs> when I, I don't even, I can't even talk about it with people when they like ask if it's an either or. It's like, that's not, yeah, that's not even an option to debate.
0: What were we even talking about? <laughs> we, uh, Jennifer's body. We were talking about, about. Rain Wilson from Juno as we were discussing Jennifer's body. <laughs> yeah.
1: But yeah, uh, I think Diablo Cody is just kind of taken a beating for just writing kind of precious dialogue. But I mean, I think her characters are realer than like Kevin Smith's ever were. And I thought he was a perfectly good screenwriter despite, you know, the characters all kind of talk in a voice that isn't adherent to our reality. Sure. As you can tell from this four hour podcast, you don't want to hear how people actually talk in real life. <laughs> I if think someone
0: had to transcribe this, they would commit suicide. I think this is the episode that's finally going to make some money for host and guest. <laughs> Buy my book, Mark Sanders' Tangential <laughs> September. I read that book, I liked it. <laughs> what did you think of the dialogue? The dialogue was a little precious. <laughs> The next film uh, is Bronson, which made uh, just under $105,000. It was $21 short. And, you know,
1: I don't think this was, like, a great movie, but I feel like the performance of
0: the main actor
1: um, as Bronson, who was, like, the longest tenured prisoner in the British prison system, and it's kind of like... The movie has kind of, like, it posits that his violence towards other people is his life's work, and it's, like, his art form, whereas other people... Have other muses, his muses' violence. Sure. <clears throat> and it kind of just hits that note over and over again. But it has these amazing, stylish sequences. And this also has spectacular. Full frontal male nudity fight sequence. That is uh, one of my favorite things. (laughs) I mean, do you guys like slow motion penis? I mean, I'm pretty sure. I know Fawn does. My fiance is a fan.
0: The other (laughs) night we were watching Black Dynamite. She fell asleep. Woke woke up up for the penis. (laughs) When she sees my penis, she
1: asks if I can move it in slow motion. (laughs) It's so hard to get an erection in slow motion. You have no idea.
0: (laughs) Finally gonna make some money.
1: (laughs) But Bronson has like an amazing central performance. This guy like bulked up like amazingly. It's like a physically transformative performance but um, he really inhabits the skin of this character who's kind of just kind of hard to get into the mind of the character, but I feel he does a good job. And there's some just amazing sequences, just cinematically speaking, in the movie.
0: Now, uh, the next film on the list made a little over $100,000, and that was The House of the Devil. Yeah. Um, It's kind of (laughs) like... Yeah! That (laughs) was on the list!
1: (laughs) What do you know? Oh, This is the best podcast I've ever been on!
0: (laughs) (laughs) To your priest, she was out of the room. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> for the, the the priest. oh shit oh what was it like oh no I got a transfusion and now I got vampire blood in me oh no now I gotta drink blood <laughs> what am I gonna do about it I'm gonna go to a hospital and drink from the people's blood drips
0: <laughs> you should not have left the room that's
1: what we're saying and now let me do that voice for House of the Devil. Okay, hey, I'm a babysitter. Oh, no, I need money because I want to move out into an apartment because my roommate, she's a real bitch, you know? Oh, wait a minute. There's no baby here. I'm caring for an old lady, and this couple's awful creepy. But I need the money, so I guess I'll stay. But then there's some creepy things happening in this house. I'm done. I'm spent. <laughs> I'm completely spent. Um... It's actually, like, next to air is, like, kind of in the vein of exploitation, like Black Dynamite, but like Black Dynamite, this movie is shot like it's from decades ago. And if you like the fact that Black Dynamite looks that way, this movie is so true that if you didn't know that it was shot, like, if you, if I would have just shown you the VHS copy, you would right. assume that this movie came out, like, 25 years ago, save for the ending, where some of the special effects can get kind of like it's realistic violence that you wouldn't it was of a quality you don't normally get in a horror movie. Yeah. But this movie's almost entirely a slow burn too, which has turned some people off, I know. I'm a person who couldn't stomach horror movies until like late high school. <laughs> like I was too scared, like it was the anticipation of stuff that worried me and then like the first one I saw was like Scream 2, which was like a good introduction cuz it's like, oh, these movies kind of suck a lot of the time. And I was worried about nothing. But this movie is all kind of like this queasy, slow build. You know that... I mean, the name of the movie is The House of the Devil. You know, right. shit's going to happen in this house. <laughs> but for like an hour and 20 minutes, it's not happening. It's kind of just her in the house. Just, you know, and it's, it's amazingly shot. Like, he's not doing anything audacious with the camera. He's kind of using the stylistic conventions of the 80s sure in, you know late 70s kind of movies that he's aping um i love the performances uh and i mean there's like one big scare early on in the movie and then it's just all slow build and then it, people say nothing happens but like a ton of stuff happens in about like a 10 minute span at the end like it's not like it builds it up and then it's like nope she goes home she got her money <laughs> she moves into her new apartment and is very happy <laughs> Like, it it like it pays off. It is the house of the fucking devil. <laughs> so, uh, I'd really recommend this movie, if you like horror movies at all, or if you like that kind of retro aesthetic that has kind of been coming out more lately, which is clearly lucrative based on Grindhouse completely fucking failing. This movie making no money. Black Dynamite making no money. <laughs> if you like that aesthetic, though, this movie is so like true to it, more sure. so than any movie I've seen of its ilk lately. The uh the next film on the list is Hump Day. I think the movie made, you know, a few hundred thousand more than these other movies that barely made money cuz it really does have a good hook. It's kind of like this buddy comedy about friends. It's kind it could you kind of look at it in a similar way to Jennifer's Body except it's like a male perspective of like this relationship where these friends have gone in completely different directions. They meet again later on, kind of realizing each other that they've gone in different directions and they're still trying to prove to each other that they haven't changed, despite the fact that they did change and that people inevitably do change. So they uh, agree to make a, uh, a porno together, the two guys, and it's kind of like a macho thing where like neither of them is man enough to like step down from this once the idea is put out there. Neither of them is like going to step up and be like, no, I don't want to have gay sex with you. So it kinda gets into that like bullshit posturing that can happen a lot in male relationships. I mean, you know. You know how it goes, right? (laughs) Me and you get together, we just fucking we shoot pool,
0: smoke stogies. (laughs) We've been doing that the whole time. That's what we've been recording. Talk about
1: hot snatch. Uh, yep that stalker chatting she's one fine piece of ass <laughs> oh but anyways hump day it's coming kinda-
0: I, I wish she had played Kanicki, <laughs> that would have been hot
1: she could have played Kanicki on my dickie <laughs> 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 So yeah, Hump Day is you know kind of a little bit there. like this. It's if you similar. enjoyed the two hours, On Netflix, <laughs> if you rent this, if you enjoyed this podcast, you'll also enjoy Hump Day. If you've rented this episode <laughs> of Humpty, you Kids. might also like in the realm of the unreal. <laughs> That's about gay sex, right? <laughs> uh, but Hump Day and then. The woman performance in Hump Day. The wife. The woman (laughs) performance. What the fuck? Um, The female. She's like one of the only female actresses who really has like a sizable role in it. She's the wife of one of the two guys. She's amazing in it. Like she grounds the movie and she has a couple scenes that I really think give the movie sort of like emotional strength later on. That really make like the scenes as it's leading up to the uh, men having sex. Like it makes it like it builds up. Like, uh... Anticipation isn't the right word, but, um... Like, it gives the movie momentum, her scenes, and she, like, is completely believable.
0: The, uh... The next film is Goodbye Solo, which made a little over $870,000.
1: It's kind of this new... It's like this American neorealism, where it's kind of these movies that are kind of... Kind of that documentary, Verite-style, trying to be as realistic as possible, but this one's, this, uh, taxi driver picks up this old man who then, you know, makes a deal with him where he'll give him a certain amount of money if he agrees in a few months to drive him to this, um, spot where he'll jump off a cliff and commit suicide, um, and their relationship kind of develops over time and they keep, like, uh, crossing paths throughout this period leading up to that. The performances are, you know, they're raw. They're not, you know, as professional as you would get in other movies, but they're really good. Um, the the cab driver character, and I don't know the actor's name, and I feel badly about that because he's really good as is the old man. Oh, that's Stogie We Smokes. I'm just worn out from playing polo. <laughs> This is what guys do. <laughs> you seen that set of tits? Of that girl playing polo over on the other polo field? We'll edit that one out. <laughs> we'll edit that one out. But a uh, goodbye solo, like really, like kind of just beautiful performances. Um, this director, he's made a couple other movies. I think like one of them is Man Push Cart, and then there's one called Chop Shop. And they're all kind of focusing on this more of like an immigrant experience in America and these kind of like outside, these outsiders perspectives on the American dream. Although that makes it sound a little more cheesy and aspirational (laughs) than these movies are. I mean, they are pretty realistic and they don't really pull any punches. But this movie has like a really strong emotional center and you really, really come to care about these characters the more that is revealed about them throughout the movie. And really, like, this is, of all the movies, like, these few that, the ones when you hear like it made, like, barely any money, like, these are the ones that the reason I'm talking about them is hopefully the eight people who really wanted to hear us hook up <laughs> again on this podcast. I would,
0: I would, uh, quadruple that number, and then times it by ten. <laughs> <laughs> 320? Did I do the math right 320 there? people. Holy shit emailed me (laughs) only episode i've ever gotten emails about you gotta get that guy on again i don't know i don't see him
1: very much it's hard he's hard to get in contact with spends a lot of time in the dark but uh like all these movies especially i'd really recommend checking out i mean um they don't get publicity i mean you're hearing about like the blind side and Gives a fuck about the blind side. <laughs> like, these generic movies, like, these movies are clearly like a director with a personal point of view telling a story that they care about, or like telling a style of story that they care about. And you can kind of see the blood and sweat on the screen in these movies. Not literally, <laughs> like, there isn't like weird blood stains on the film <laughs> as it spools through. <laughs>
0: I paid $8 <laughs> to see this flick! This is, like, Stan bracket. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> There's butterfly wings somehow.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, really, like, give these movies a chance. I really don't think you'll be disappointed.
0: The uh, the next film uh, made over $9 million and is nominated for Best Picture. It's a film called The Serious Man.
1: Yeah. It's by the Coleman Brothers. Um... This movie felt to me kind of like a direct reaction to the reaction to the end of No Country for Old Men. And I feel like we can go into spoilers with No Country for Old Men, right? It's Go it's ahead. It's been long enough. Sigourney Weaver gets killed by <laughs> Javier Bardem. Uh, then he puts her... Puts her in the tree. And then the ghost of Sigourney Weaver talks to Sam Worthington. And he communes with the spirit animals. And they kill Javier Bardem at the end. Who has a giant robot knife. And then Tommy Lee Jones... Has a dream of Giovanni Ribisi...
0: Obtaining unobtainium. (laughs) But people, you know... And his wife is kind of confused. She's like, what?
1: (laughs) Unobtainium? That's a stupid name for a rock. Um, But, you know, a lot of... Like, when I first saw No Country for All Men, like, there was audible what at the end of the movie? I mean... I feel like the movie explains itself and it's kind of explaining itself in that final dream. If you listen to what he's saying, it's kind of ex- they're kind of laying their cards out on the table pretty explicitly in that sequence. But people are kind of expecting the standard thriller, which I mean you know the Coen brothers aren't interested right. in delivering like this entertainment that like fits perfectly into like that old Hollywood formula like burn after reading. Like it has such an abrupt we fucking ran out of gas, so let's end this movie sort of ending and that's another movie that I thought was great. I think they're kind of dealing with that reaction that these movies like this movie especially I think is even harder to um break apart than their earlier movies. I think it needs multiple viewings to like dig into it I mean they're dealing with kind of faith and belief in a higher power and belief that you're held responsible for your actions um I don't. Even I I haven't seen it enough to know exactly, like, where they come down on that argument. I feel like that's just kind of what they're getting into. But it has, like, an ending that's ten times more, like, holy shit, this is the end of the movie than No Country for Old Men. And I feel it's similar in that I feel like they're kind of laying it all out, what the whole movie was about in, like, the final minute. But I feel like there's a lot to chew on there. But uh, there's really good performances in this movie, the lead actor, Michael Stuhlbarg, I want to say. I like the way you pronounced it. It sounds good, right? Sounds, yeah. I think its first name is Michael, at least. It was Michael Sarah <laughs> who's the lead actor. <laughs> Michael <That's> J. Fox.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is a sequel to Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf in his later that, years. It, this, is, this is what would have happened had Teen Wolf 2 not occurred. It's sort of an alternate universe. Teen team. Wolf 2 is not good at all. I just
1: watched that recently. Why would they have picked boxing as the sport in t <laughs> Wolf 2?
0: Where, where is
1: their high school? boxing. It's co- college. Oh, it's collegiate, but where Coll- is College boxing. boxing. <laughs> yeah,
0: it makes more sense if it's wrestling. If like, you're going to go Greco ever Roman. Do you remember going to a gym and there's a boxing ring set up in the middle? I've never in my life seen a boxing ring. I've seen George Foreman. <laughs> but I've not seen him in a boxing. I've
1: George Foreman's grill, right? And I'm a big fan of the way that the fat rolls off into the uh, dish to collect it.
0: But honestly, put it in a, a wrestling. I uh, put it on a wrestling mat. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Fun's not enjoying this tangent, especially. But I'm baffled by boxing as the selection of the sport. I'm with you, brother. And there's so much about Teen Wolf Two that baffles me, like. Uh, His parents can't be asked to take him to college, the Jason Bateman character. So the dad from the original Teen Wolf, who's his uncle in this movie, is the one who, like, moves him to college. And Stiles is there again. Like, Stiles is just hanging around always, being creepy. But, like, the wolf's powers don't... Boxing isn't, like, the right match for that, like... It made sense, like the speed, like the dazzling speed of Teen Wolf when he was Teen Wolf right, right into basketball.
0: Put him on a football team,
1: <laughs> put him on
0: a football team, put him on a soccer team, <laughs> put, put him behind a, a home plate catcher or an umpire. Teen Wolf is an umpire. <laughs> The wolf's really cut loose. He's <laughs> making like these crazy stripes. It's calls. just naked. It's that naked gun sequence. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of Teen Wolf 2. Although I am kind of a huge fan of Teen Wolf 2, in that it is so befuddling that all these decisions were made and then okayed by a studio, because this is like, we made money on Teen Wolf. We gotta, let's, let's keep going, let's strike while the iron's hot. What's the what's the hip sport
0: right now that kids are doing in college? I saw box boxing the other day. You know, t- keep in mind, though, Tyson was big at the time. I'm sure they tried to get Tyson to fight Teen Wolf. It just, they tried then, the, to get Then Robin, the rape charges. Robin
1: Givens tried, was originally slated to be Teen Wolf's love interest in the movie. Uh, well, A Serious Man also has Richard Kind, or... Is that his name?
0: The, from Spence? Yeah,
1: he's great at it. at his brief bit of business. There's a... The, the the character name is Cy Abelman, who's, like, the the main character's wife leaves him right, right early on in the outset. Like, they begin the process of a divorce, and she leaves him for this guy, and he's playing, like, this faux, sincere jackass of a character, and he does it amazingly, and he has this amazing, like, booming bass voice that he uses and he's like always turning the tables on the main character in a way that is leaving him like fighting for position in every conversation and like those scenes like the way that they're worded and shot are amazing and that's like the coen brothers i think are on such another level from any other filmmaker right now just in terms of like the way they can so quickly establish things or like the way they edit scenes i think that they're kind of peerless. Uh, at least in terms of American filmmakers.
0: Now, uh, it was funny that we were talking about Teen Wolf because the next film is called The Fantastic Mr. Fox. And that made over $20 million.
1: <laughs> and this movie um is that final one in those like the year of just amazing kids' movies. And of all of them, I mean, I understand Panyo is a Japanese animation movie and A Town Called Panic is a subtitled Belgian stop-motion movie. So... Kids can, I mean, kids can be dicks sometimes. Kids can suck, and they're not going to be interested in being alert enough to pay attention to stuff like that. But Mr. Fox is just a, like such a perfect combination of Wes Anderson sensibilities with a children's movie that I really wish it did at least forty times more business than what it did. I don't know the math on that. That's probably forty
0: it. times. Twenty would be uh, eight hundred million
1: dollars and that's not out of hand right that's what avatar has made just about i mean it's at i think about 750 so i'm just asking that mr fox did avatar business that's not an insane thing dvd sales
0: probably will carry it but
1: like you didn't think about it beforehand but you know wes anderson has that kind of like dollhouse aesthetic where like everything feels kind of miniaturized and fragile like if you touch the like the Tenenbaums house will fall apart if you pull something out of place <laughs> in it and like it found its perfect expression with the stop motion animation where you can literally see like the fingerprints and hands at work on like the fur and stuff in the scenes um all of like that there's always you know like father issues at the core of Anderson movies not unlike Tim Burton movies but um like, they find a really good outlet here. Like, the relationship between the Jason Schwartzman son character and George Clooney's Mr. Fox uh, is really poignant by the conclusion of the movie. And, like, his his like zany, it feels like such a stupid word to use, but, like, his more esoteric sense of humor can sometimes, I think, turn people off in live-action movies, but I feel like it's always been used in the last decade or so in animated movies so it Mm -hmm. feels more organic here otherwise he shot all the dialogue on location which i don't know if it you would notice it it's not like obvious that they did that yeah but there's like there's a quality to the voice performances that you don't normally get out of a kid's movie like they feel like they're really like grounded in their performances you can tell where a lot of times it's just like you know We'll get Mike Myers to come in and shoot his lines,
0: and then we'll bring in... Voice acting's yeah. a bit of a lost art.
1: Yeah, and I, I feel like...
0: Just ask Miley Cyrus. <laughs> this movie could have been... Bolt. <laughs> could've come Could
1: have been, Mr. Fox. <laughs> Mr. Fox, I'm worried about
0: Mr. Fox. <laughs> <laughs> She's just some insane... <laughs> Mr. Fox! Mr. Fox! I'm worried about Mr. Fox!
1: She's that weird, like, shriveled shrew behind the diner in Mulholland Drive. Uh, Mr. Fox. Uh, Judd Nelson. uh, Oh, no.
0: Judd Judd Nelson. (laughs) No, Judd. uh... Apatow. No, Judd.
1: Dear John. TV show Dear John. Judd. Oh. Taxi. uh...
0: Uh, Judd Nelson,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ashley Judd, as well. I was thinking of Ashley Judd.
0: <laughs> All right, and uh, the last film—we <laughs> don't have the the money on this one, so you're gonna have to figure it out on your own.
1: Well, I use Box Office Mojo to look up what the movies made to make sure that they qualified for my completely mm-hmm. um, self-set standard that really was pointless. I guess in the end
0: well uh it was uh it's a documentary of a a broadway show that was a bomb so uh it's called passing strange
1: yeah and it's uh spike lee directed it but it's basically the last night of their performing on broadway of the show um like it's amazing like the energy the vibe like he perfectly captures whatever emotions they were trying to convey on stage and he like And sometimes those stage shows, like Cats, I've watched Cats before, like...
0: Tennyson's class? Yeah. I I rant about that still. That class? That class. well, And and the fact that we watch Cats.
1: Yeah, well, that was when we wrote the paper about that. I'm like, this isn't a movie. This isn't even really a documentary. Right.
0: Wait, you only had to write a paper about it? Yeah. We had to make cat collages. We had to make... That's why I got, like, a B- minus in that class. I got an A on everything except for my fucking cat collage where it had to be cat jokes, cat toys. So fucking I'm sweet. a
1: fan of the T.S. Eliot book Cats was based on. I think that those poems are pretty funny and good. Uh, that play, though, is with the fucking robot Jesus cat hand that comes down at the end. What the hell is going on? In you know, plan?
0: Andrew Lloyd Webber's hit or miss. I really like Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And, uh... You like Into the Woods? But he didn't do Into the Woods. That's Sondheim? That's Sondheim. Same guy. I like the first act of Into the Woods. I leave at intermission. <laughs> <And they laughs> as as you leave and too. And then we walk past the cast. Hey, there's a second act! No. Nope. <laughs> Not in my book. <laughs> so anyways, passing
1: strange. It's the last night of this show, and it's like an autobiographical like musical about his experiences.
0: Stew um, is yeah, the name. Yeah,
1: the name of the guy who wrote the play, and he's kinda like the band leader and narrator of the
0: And he, he kinda looks like Mabel from Men on a Mission. <laughs> he is
1: not that obese. You may be misremembering this from the trailer clips you saw.
0: He's... I'm remembering it from his Tony performance, Tony Awards performance, when he made <laughs> maybe, dinosaur maybe, hands.
1: Maybe, maybe he got bigger between the end of the play and the Tonys. The play ended before the Tonys? Did I, it? It might have. I, I mean, I'm No,
0: gonna... I don't think it did. No, Tonys came first.
1: I don't think he was that big. I mean, he's he's a he's a more rotund man, but it's not. He's not. He's like George Went sized.
0: He's not. You know uh You know, I saw Mabel from Men on a Mission fight Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> Did you really? Who yep. won that match? <laughs> Who do you think? I would imagine Jeff Jarrett won via Jeff some Jarrett. sort of chicanery, right? Jeff Jarrett. Yep, I think he hit him with the guitar.
1: I saw <laughs> Jeff Jarrett fight uh, Steve Blackman at a wrestling event. Steve Blackman was well known for wearing black pants. And being shirtless with chest hair, and his finisher was a jumping kick. So, passing strange, <laughs> <laughs> passing. Well, you know, like I, like I said, he really captures the emotion of closing night, and I feel like they were all. I mean, they probably had mixed emotions about the fact I didn't know it was a bomb until you just said that. Like I don't, I didn't know anything about it going in, other than I tend to see anything. Spiky criti- it makes. was
0: critically praised, but commercially, uh, failure.
1: Like, it's kind of structurally audacious. There's a lot of third wall breaks in it. Um, The way it's structured between, like, him narrating and the action happening and, like, the way that they, like, interweave, like, maybe was harder for people who were expecting, you know, something a little more straightforward.
0: I think my my biggest problem from the one song that I've seen of uh the show that was then documented in this film was uh Adam Derwitz of Counting Crows introduced it and talk, and raved about it and raved about the man Stu and uh I, I don't I don't want Adam Derwitz telling me what I should enjoy.
1: I mean that's You're on the enough. same
0: yeah. level as Derwitz.
1: <laughs> Did he say like I don't I don't even remember Counting Crows songs. I can't take this bit no. and run with it. It's alright. <laughs> Drop it. What's, oh that I'm thinking Blues Traveler, for some reason I was gonna start singing like John Popper instead of Adam Derwitz, so forget it. But uh, Passing Strange is really solid. I would recommend you give it a chance, even though I know you're you're no fan of the Tony Awards performance of the song. I think in the context of the play, if it's the song, I think it is. It's incredibly powerful, but like it's it's building to that point through the first half of the play when they get to that song. Sure. Um, it's like, I, I always see what Spike Lee makes. I think he's a great director and, you know, he made When the, When the Levees Broke, which I thought was a really good documentary. He's clearly got a knack for documentary filmmaking where he can kind of tap into whatever the emotions of the subjects he's filming are without being intrusive, I guess. I mean, it's not like, it's not like the cameras, like, overtook the performance on stage. Like, it's not, but it's also not like that kind of hermetically sealed where it's like shooting from the back of the auditorium. Right. And just kind of zooming in and cutting between a few cameras. Like, he gets in the action, but it's not in a way that's like changing how they would have performed for the audience. Nice. There was no order to the way I wrote this down, so this really wouldn't
0: have been (laughs) You're like, Rick, whatever we do, Passing Strange (laughs) is the closer.
1: This wouldn't have been the way I would have wanted to finish the podcast. I
0: assumed that there was some sort of rhyme well, or reason. If you,
1: if you think back to the last time we did this, I had you just go and pick randomly. From right, the and sheets. I thought
0: that we'd learned. I thought, I, I, learned I, I really, that. I
1: thought that that had worked well and we had decided that we would just try and emulate.
0: <laughs> Instead, we, we, we doubled the amount of time that we spent talking <laughs> more about. More
1: than doubled, right, at this point. I feel we're, like we're each, over of an the, hour. each of these segments are twice as long as the last two-parter. We've kind of transformed to the hell out of this. Where it's just more of the same, but to the point where it's obnoxious and vaguely racist and just awful. And you hate the people for making you listen to it.
0: Tom, uh, any recommendations (laughs) film-wise? Really, just check out Avatar.
1: I think you guys are going to get a big kick out of that movie.
0: (laughs) And uh, film music (laughs) recommendations? Film
1: music, I'm going to have to go with I See You, which is the touching end credits song from Avatar. I mean, it ties into a really emotionally devastating line of dialogue from that movie, which I, you can tell it's really caught on. People are saying "I see you" to each other instead of like
0: uh, "I, I love, love you"
1: or "I like you" or "I understand you," or uh... and I've seen a lot of people like tying their ponytails together instead of having sex. <laughs> it's
0: pretty cool. Tom Fuchs, as always, a thrill. <laughs> To track you down get you on the show. Uh, look forward to doing part three with yeah. you. Uh, I don't think you will be getting as
1: many requests for us to ever get back together. We'll <laughs> double it again. <laughs> we will shoot for four two, hours next two week. Two hour
0: episodes.
1: I will make a list of every movie I
0: saw in the previous in 2010. Did you, hey, did, before we go, did you do uh, 300 fifty something movies in a year again? Did no, you pull that no, off? No, no, not at all. Too you thinking about this year? No. I mean Next I, uh... year?
1: <laughs> Tentatively in twenty thirteen. I'm planning on doing it, but
0: we have the exclusive on that? Yeah. You can go ahead and you can put that in print. Tom, we know uh, you write for chud.com. <laughs> uh, we know you've been quoted on JS Online. Where else can I've people also been check printed out your stuff? In JS Online? Yes. <laughs> you,
1: just, <laughs> you know, you come to half price books in greenfield um you put up uh,
0: employee recommendations nope. <laughs> you did at one point
1: we did but uh nobody liked doing it i was the person who had to do it no one would give me their recommendations so i just started putting weird things like brunswick bowling balls and like um barbecue chicken as people's employee staff recommendations <laughs> so that bring it back <laughs> Um, there's really nowhere you can get this other than the host and guest podcast once a year. Um maybe I'll hopefully I mean I'm such a lazy piece of shit for not having finished. I have like a stack of DVD reviews that are almost complete. I've been working on Airbud, the tenth anniversary review of for it. For like a year for now. over a year. Um, it's like uh it's the Chinese democracy of, of <laughs> internet D V D reviews. <laughs> uh, so, how many writers do you have on that review? I've actually tried to contact sources to help me. Through. I've been trying to crunch statistical numbers about Airbud's performance in the movie. No oh. one's ever gotten back to me.
0: We look forward to you uh, coming out of your um, absence, my self imposed retirement. Your self imposed retirement. And uh, really looking forward to seeing some more words from you, pal.
1: I think we've had more than enough fucking words for a few
0: years. <laughs> uh anything you wanna say uh before we part? Uh any do you wanna pad your record a little more?
1: Um how long are, where are we at here? We're at one eighteen. One
0: 110. It's gonna be one eleven.
1: <laughs> Boom. You said it couldn't be done, mom. Fuck you.